Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, I'm Alex. Um, I do want to say it's uh, a huge honor and privilege uh, to be asked to, to preach this morning. Um, and I remember having a conversation with Robert uh, back in the fall just about preaching, and I was like, yeah, my strengths lie in... Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Elementary school aged children, you, you may go down, go down or like in, whatever. You, you may be dismissed. I don't know where you guys go, but, um, but yeah, so I remember having a conversation with Robert back in the fall uh, about, about preaching, and it's like, yeah, my strengths lie in the narrative, and, you know, gospel, acts, like Old Testament, just narratives, and so the first Sunday he asked me to, to preach, it's not just a topical sermon, but from a text and a letter, so thank you, Robert. Um, but I, I do, I do uh, consider it a huge honor and privilege uh, to be able to preach. Before we dive in, I want to pray. Lord, um, I pray that whatever I say uh, would be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, long story short... Uh, I don't have time to, to get into my whole testimony, but I started following the Lord when I was a freshman in college. And about a month in, I was immediately thrown into the deep end and was placed to be a Young Life leader with one other leader to start Young Life at a new high school. Um, neither of us knew what we were doing, and so we were just trying to get the lay of the land and answering questions like, uh, who are the key faculty members? What are the sporting events that everyone shows up to? Um, is there school pride? Because that makes a huge difference. Um, and I wanted to take it a step further, doing like really minimal, very minimal research. Um, I came across three names um, that were, I guess, said to be like the farthest out kids that were the, uh, quote, like, there's no way unreachable kids. And I didn't know them. Uh, and so it's funny, like on, the, on this list, it was really just three nicknames. I didn't even know their like actual identity. But... Um, I didn't want to be that guy, so I didn't push it too far, but I just started praying for him. And about a month in, uh, I get approached by the principal to be the, the head soccer coach, because um, you know I played soccer at the, at the college nearby, and so about, I'm, I'm like 18 years old, head varsity soccer coach at this high school, um, just trying to meet kids, and there were these two kids in the parking lot that I would see. I can't remember the type of car, but I remember it was a red car. They would have all four doors open, um, and they would just be blasting hip-hop beats, just instrumentals, and they would just start freestyle battling each other. Um, and making the most of every opportunity, uh, I, finally, I finally went up to them and started talking to them. Uh, eventually freestyle battled these kids uh, in the middle of a parking lot. Um, and a little while later, one of them actually becomes our keeper on the team. He was a basketball guy, and he was the, the running back for the football team. He also comes to camp with us that same year. Uh, and this was a hard kid, like would not open up, had all the walls in the world up. Um, and every night after um, a piece of the gospel is proclaimed, we just talk about it, and he won't say a word. Uh, and I don't really push it, you know, because it's, it's one of those things where 
if people want to talk, cool. If not, cool. Um, but day after day after day goes by, people are starting to open up and talk, and he's just stone-faced, will not say a word. And so I'm going into this, like, day five. We're going to talk about the cross tonight. <laughs> I have no idea where this kid's even at. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I doubted. I doubted that anything was going to come, up, uh, come about for this kid. But I remember after that, we're sitting around in a circle, me and the guys in my cabin. Um, and he was like across but slightly to the right, about five chairs to the right of me. We're sitting surrounded by a tiki torch. People are crying. It's like <laughs> super emotional and vulnerable and I finally just, I kind of had it, <laughs> and I, I just, I finally call him out in front of everyone. It's just like, hey, Fulham, what about you? Like, what do you think about all this? And as soon as he made eye contact with me, he lost it. Um, started breaking down, talking about his home life and how there's got to be something more. And um, I remember the next day, with on the rocking chairs on the front porch outside of the club room at Rockbridge. I got to pray with him to receive Christ. And that was actually the moment that I look back to as the, the first time I, I thought, why would I do anything else with my life than this? And I really, I feel like I'm living the dream. I have the dream job where multiple times a week I'm given opportunities to share Christ with kids. Um, and, and I share, I share the stories because all, all summer we've been talking about spiritual gifts, um, the sermon series of, of spiritual gifts. And so we've talked some about like prophecy, teaching, service or hospitality, however you want to word it, um, like mercy and others. And uh, today we're, we're going to talk about the gift of evangelism. But before that, can we just sit in the reality that like, we who are in Christ, like all of you who are in Christ, you have been uniquely, individually gifted by God for the advancement of the kingdom and to equip you to help live up to the purpose that God has for you. That's incredible. Like I really believe one of the greatest discoveries of a new Christian is figuring out what their gift is. And if you don't know what it is, you've got to talk to someone to figure it out. Because um, I promise you, if, if you are a born-again Christian, if you are in Christ, you have a gift. Um, but we're talking about the gift of evangelism. And the gift of evangelism is, is kind of tricky, um, as Tommy kind of uh, hinted at last week in the, the brief overshadowing of this new direction we're going in. Um, but it's, it's tricky because the gift of evangelism is a gift. Like, it is a spiritual gift of the Lord in that some people have it um, that kind of naturally move towards evangelism more so than, than others. They tend to have more of a burden for the loss. Um, they tend to maybe go in the grocery store and they just can't help but pray for people in the, like, in the aisles, like to themselves. Um, but there are people that are just, they just have the sauce, you know? Like, um, think of Billy Graham. Like, there are some preachers who could just 
copy and paste word for word what he said and maybe not have the same results because he just clearly had the gift of evangelism. And so I, I do want to be clear that like, it is a spiritual gift, but what makes the gift of evangelism tricky is that like some of these spiritual gifts, like um, service or mercy, like there are those who clearly have the spiritual gift of, of service and hospitality, but we are all called to serve. Right? We are all called to serve. We are all called to show hospitality. We are all called to show mercy and to give mercy in the, to those in need. And evangelism, even maybe one step further, is like not only are we called um, to evangelism, but we are straight up commanded by Jesus himself. And we see that in uh, the Great Commission, uh, where it says, go, he says, go and make disciples, right, by preaching, baptizing, that's obviously the condensed version. But we see that where uh, growing up, I was told, like, the heart of that, you can sum it up, but just, oh, go, go. And that's the heart of the, that text. But really in the Greek, um, there's only three participles in that text, but there's only one verb that's in the imperative command form, and it's make disciples. Like, that is the one command. And so, and when you translate certain things from Greek to English, it, it's hard when you do it word for word because it kind of loses some of the meaning and the weight that some Greek words have that we can't just word for word translate. Um, so it, it probably more if you're not going literal and trying to keep the meaning, it probably more likely translates to a, like, oh, you must make disciples by going and preaching and baptizing. Like, or, like, I'm commanding you to make disciples. And uh, we see it from, I mean, going full circle, right? Back when, when Jesus originally called his disciples, it said, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Right? He didn't say, come follow me and I will give you a nice quiet life and you won't have to do a thing. Isn't that incredible? He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me and I will make all of you who have the gift of evangelism fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me and I will make all of you who are uh, good looking and athletic fishers of men. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's part of our DNA. Because the reality is, we, we who are in Christ, we have all experienced something that is far too great not to share. And Paul gives, um, gives a, a brief snapshot of, of what it looks like um, in his letter to the Colossians. And here it is, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th thanks, Paul. But like, like tell me what to do, <laughs> right? Like for, for those of us who are extreme doers, um, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, this is, this is really hard for me, um, ironically, in, in my job. But like, this is really hard for me because it takes a lot of intentionality to like slow down and, and just be still um, and pray because I'm a borderline workaholic. I'll just like to go after it, you know. Um, 
but it's tough. But I love that Paul puts this first. Because one, one of my favorite quotes on prayer, I can't remember who said it. So if, if you're taking notes and you want to attribute this to me, I won't stop you. But it, it was not me um, who said this. But um, it says, prayer is the work. And not only is prayer the work, but ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance because it implies that you can do godly things without God. And I promise you that you are not that great to do this thing without him. <laughs> I'm going I'm to repeat that. Um, it says, prayer is the work. And not only is prayer the work, but ministry without prayer is the highest form of arrogance because it implies that you can do godly things without God. Um, and I promise, <laughs> and I promise that you are not that great to do this thing without him. But, I mean, that's challenging. Right? But it makes sense. Like, we can control whether or not we talk about Jesus, but we can't control whether or not people embrace it. Uh, we can't control... Um, how they handle it and how they like hear it and what they do with it. That's a Holy Spirit thing. Um, and so I love that he starts that first. But he goes on, he, he unpacks it a little bit as, as we'll see that like for Paul, prayer wasn't just some like secret conversation that, that happens between like you and God where God is like a glorified secretary that you just ramble off to-do lists to um, or your like wishes. But to Paul... Prayer was the most powerful weapon for the salvation of the lost. And so, I mean, all, all throughout his letters, he's always talking about prayer. Um, it always comes up eventually. He says, uh, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And being watchful, I, I think, kind of takes on two, two levels. There's the, the physical piece of it, right? Like, be watchful, be alert, don't fall asleep. Right? Um, you might recall uh, before Jesus gets arrested and he's with his disciples and he says, hey, keep watch, be watchful and pray. Um, the hour is near and he goes to a solitary place, prays, comes back and his disciples have fallen asleep. He's like, seriously guys? Um, but there is that natural piece of like, do we find ourselves falling asleep when we pray? If so, maybe it's time to, to think about trying to find another time in the day where we're more alert um, and can pray without falling asleep. Um, I know that when I pray at night, when I'm in bed, getting ready for bed and I'm tired, I'm going to fall asleep. That's just part of it. Um, but I think the other side of it is, is spiritually where he's saying, be watchful, um, be aware of the spiritual things going on around you um, and don't fall asleep. And I feel like there's this sense of urgency that the early church had where they really believed Jesus is coming back soon and we don't know when, but it's soon. And they just ran, ran with that urgency. It's so evident. And some 2,000 years later, I feel like 
you know, as more time has passed, we kind of tend to live like we have all the time in the world. Um, and so there are many times where God gives us opportunities, but we're not, we're not really seeing them for what they really are because we're not, we don't really, I mean, let's be honest, we don't really think that much about Jesus coming back. We know he is, right? Like we talk about it, um, but like Jesus literally could come back today. Like, we don't know. But part of that being watchful is, you know, be aware of the spiritual things, praying to the Lord that, that he would give you eyes um, to see the opportunities that he's placed in front of you. And uh, being, um, or showing gratitude, being thankful. Really, every, just about every prayer book <laughs> I've, ever, I've ever read um, all talks about, they, they all talk about gratitude. And even just aside from like um, the spiritual side of things, I mean, you, you look at just um, in general, like talking about joy and the secret of joy, um, almost every, everyone across the board connects gratitude to joy. Um, and it's, I think it's especially when we pray, m- most of the books on prayer I've read actually suggest starting um, with thanksgiving and, and reminding us and remembering and giving thanks to God um, for all the many blessings that we have. Um, and part of that, in so doing, like, yes, allows us to have more joy uh, and a sense of awe at who he is. But it also um, allows a lot of these, like, problems or circumstances that we're faced with that we tend to, like, blow out of proportion um, it, it allows those to be restored back to their proper place so that um, we are freed up from ourselves to think about other people and really pray for other people in the kingdom. Um, and if, if, if your heart doesn't break for lost people, I want to throw out a challenge for a 30-day challenge because it's in prayer. It's, a lot of the time, it's, it's in prayer where God shapes you as a leader. It's, it's in those times where God is, is molding you um, and transforming your heart. And so for 30 days, I challenge you to, to pray this prayer. Lord, I pray that you would break my heart for lost people. And I pray that you would give me the courage to do something about it. Lord, I pray that you would break my heart for lost people and that you would give me the courage to do something about it. But devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Wow. This is incredible for, for, for many reasons, but this is one that, that jumps out. So he's asking for prayer, for intercessory prayer, but he is in prison. That's what makes this incredible. Like, he's currently in prison for proclaiming the gospel. Not only does he pray for a door to be opened so that he may continue to proclaim the gospel, which is the very reason that he's in prison in the first place, but, I mean, he could have asked prayer for anything. Like, he could have asked prayer 
um, for anything and said, oh, and pray for us too that we would get out of prison. <laughs> right? Oh, pray for us that a literal door of the prison would open so we can get the heck out. Um, but he doesn't do that. He sees every opportunity, um, every situation um, as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And he doesn't pray that he can get out of prison. He doesn't pray like for his immediate circumstance. But he has this like tunnel vision that no matter what, even in the face of prison, his focus is on the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom and getting this message out as if nothing else matters. It's incredible. But he's asking for intercessory prayer, and he asks that a door may be open. Do we pray for each other? Or do our prayers look a lot like just a rambling off of a, of a wish list um, for ourselves? Like, are we really praying for missionaries? Are we praying for each other as we're going after it? Um, together, like, are we, are we praying for revival in New England? One of the, the three marks of a revival, um, when you look across the board, one of them is a, a faithful um, group in the body of Christ united in prayer. It's one of the three marks of a great revival. Um, and here's, here's the reality that we should be praying for each other as well, regardless, not just like the missionaries or people that are literally on the payroll <laughs> for Christ, but like I hope you know that because it's evangelism, we're, we're called and commanded to do it. And like I, rem I recall um, two weeks ago when, when Robert was preaching um, in his text, there was a, a section on how like we are like aliens in a foreign land. Um, and Paul elsewhere talks about how our citizenship is in heaven, right? And by those realities, like, like, every one of you who are in Christ, as soon as we walk out those doors after the service, like, we are missionaries to Amherst and the surrounding towns in which we live and work. Let's get after it. But it starts with prayer. And I went on and on and on about prayer with but I think, I think there's something to that with four out of the six verses <laughs> Paul's talking about prayer, right? It's a, it's a huge part of it. But the first step is, is praying. And then he says, uh, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Right? Like, in other words, like, are we authentically living out the gospel in a way that just naturally puts forth the gospel? Like, are we showing Christ to people by the way that we live and treat them? Like, are we showing people the joy and the beauty of God by the way we live our lives? And I, I want to be careful. When he says, uh, make the most of every opportunity, he's, he's not saying, oh, turn every conversation into a Jesus proclamation. Right? He's not saying that. He's not saying, like, go to the, a, a guy at Starbucks in line and say, hey, do you see the Red Sox game? Oh, yeah, it was crazy. You know what else is crazy? Like, Jesus died for you, man. Like, that's not, it's not, it's not the time. Right? There is a time for that. 
But there are so many opportunities that God gives us that we just don't even think about. And maybe it just looks like priming the pump for it, um, building that relationship over time in hopes that one day we would earn the right to be heard so that we can share Christ with them. Um, but the next verse says, let, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I, I want to address those two verses side by side because I, I feel like um, showing people Christ is where a lot of people like to stop. <laughs> um, like, oh yeah, especially New England. Like, oh yeah, of course I want to show people Christ, but I don't want to talk about him. Like, that's weird. Right? People are going to think I'm crazy. Uh, that's intellectual suicide. Um, but if, if, we, if all we do is show people Christ, and it's part of it. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But like, if, if all we do is show people Christ and we never talk about him, at the best case scenario, like at best, the only or closest thing they could ever conclude is to say, oh, wow, that is a really moral person. And they're going to miss it. Like, we have to use words, right? I'm sure some of you have heard the famous quote, um, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. Has anyone heard that? Uh, a couple. Uh, that's, that's probably heard the best. Uh, but it's, it's wrongfully, it's wrongfully uh, attributed um, to St. Francis of Assisi. And the Gospel Coalition put out a, a while ago this, um, this, like, I don't know whether they call it a document or not, but they were talking about that and, and just going through, like, all the works of St. Francis and, like, all of his teachings, all of his sermons, um, all of his disciples' work, and there's no reference anywhere. There's no record of him saying that. And, you know, he's not here, but I'm sure if we asked him, he probably wouldn't have said that because... He was a preacher. Like, he knew the importance of using words uh, and proclaiming the gospel. Um, but the opposite is also true. Right? Like, if all we do is talk about Jesus, but our lives don't back it up, and we're not living it out, then our message loses credibility. And it says to people, well, if you don't believe what you're talking about, then why should I? Right? So it's not just a walk the walk or a talk the talk, it's got to be both. And it's not like a live perfectly, right? Like, let's be fake and show people the best of us and not be vulnerable. Like, I mean, no one's perfect, right? But I'm just saying people can sniff out whether or not you mean what you say. The proof is in the pudding, as we say in the South. But um, I thought long and hard about whether or not to go into, like, what to say or to go through like what is the gospel even though the, the gospel is clearly like talked about and preached every week but I think Paul Paul does not in this in this text talk about that and so I'm not going to either and but the the reality is every audience is different right every person is different they come from a different background um, there's different vocabulary and so there is, that's the reason Paul doesn't give some like cookie cutter, one-liner um, gospel sentence that's just going to transcend every situation. 
right? Because, like, we probably shouldn't talk about Jesus um, to maybe, like, an elder's kid who's been raised in the church but, like, isn't quite there yet in the same way that we would an atheist kid who's never been to church, right? Like, they're just two totally different um, situations. Um, but Paul does give a, um, a couple tips as to how, a couple things that should always be present in proclaiming the gospel. It's in the last verse, verse 6. It says, let your conversation... And that's the first piece. It's, hopefully it's conversational. Right? I haven't met everyone who's ever lived since Christ, um, but so I'm, I'm sure there's a couple exceptions to this, but I've, I've yet, at least in my experience, I've yet to meet someone whose testimony was like, oh yeah, and then I was like argued into the faith. Um, you know, like, oh, it's just the logical argument, and so I took it, um, and so I'm here. Right? Like, that's, that's usually not how it goes. And so hopefully it's a conversational tone um, rather than coming out from a place of, or coming from a place of like, I have to be right, you are wrong. It says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. It just means be kind and being gentle. Again, not coming from a place of I am right, you are wrong, like your worldview is stupid. <laughs> um, but be be graceful. Be, uh, treat people with dignity. Treat them like people. Further says, let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Seasoned with salt. In, in ancient um, Greek culture, salt was somewhat of an emblem for wit. Um, and so I think what Paul's saying here, or part of it, don't bore people to death with the gospel, right? Because the gospel is not boring at all. But we can definitely make it boring if we want to. Um, but, like, humor is a gift of God, right? God created fun. He created laughter. He created life and love. Jesus is the author of adventure. Does that come out in the way that we talked about Jesus? Again, humor is a gift. Use it. Um, also, salt preserves. Right? Salt, salt enhances flavor. Um, enhances whatever it touches. But the strongest salt isn't going to do anything if it, it's never used. Right? Um, the founder, founder of Young Life, Jim Rayburn, this is probably my favorite quote of his, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely paraphrasing it because I'm, I'm going to miss a couple of adjectives, but he, he said... Uh, Jesus is the most magnificent, most incredible um, personality, most amazing personality to ever walk the face of the earth. But a careless preacher can take all that magnificence and turn it into sheer boredom. And it is a, a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. Um, and I love that. Because... And that's part of my story. I grew up, didn't really get it. My mom would force me to go to church. I thought church was boring. And so because I thought church was boring, I thought Jesus was boring and then wanted to have nothing to do with him. Uh, but that's a piece of it is like when we really talk about Jesus, how are we talking about him? Do we get super rigid and super serious and um, just talk about all the, all the rules that people need to follow? And like, or are we showing them the gospel, 
where it's freeing. It leads to freedom. Uh, are we showing them all throughout the Gospels where those guys were just on crazy adventures. They saw crazy things. There, there, were, there was nothing safe or boring about their lives. Right? And when you think about it, like some of this is scary, talking about your faith. And some of you might be like, yeah, 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 but there's like plenty of people that will do that. So like, I'm just not going to do that. Um, when you look all throughout the Gospels, there's hardly anywhere where Jesus isn't at, like calling his disciples to take a risk or putting them in an awkward situation to stretch them. When you think about um, when he sends them out two by two, and he says, oh, take nothing, that's a risk. Um, when they're out in the boat and Jesus is walking on water, and Peter's like, oh, well, that's really you. Tell me to come out uh, on the water and he doesn't, so Peter steps out into this crazy ocean in the middle of a storm, and he got to walk on water with Jesus because he took a risk. Like, who do you think really experienced life to the full that day, Peter or the guys that were just chilling on the boat? So I, I want to end with, I know it's scary, and I'm not trying to downplay it at all. Like, it is, it is a huge risk um, to build bridges and then dare to cross them <laughs> with people. But I'm telling you, taking risks is where the fun is. This is like part of our DNA. In the beginning, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, full circle to the command that he gives us as, as disciples, um, as followers of Christ. Um, and above all else, Know that, like, whether you have the gift of evangelism or not, we are all missionaries in a foreign land for Christ. What would it look like as a church if we really went after it with that mindset? That as soon as we walked out the doors, we are on a team on mission together to change Amherst and the surrounding towns forever. I think New England, this is where I'm, I'm going to, if, if anything is going to come off offensive of what I've said today, it's probably this as a Southerner. Um, but here are the things that I was told when I first came to New England in the first place to do Young Life. You will never have a club over 20 kids, but that's okay because that's like 100 in the South. Um, I was told, uh, oh, New England is where Young Life staff go to die. I was straight up told that. Um, it's just a different beast. People don't want the gospel up there. One person said that. Um, but I think we need to stop. I say we as if I'm a New Englander now. But like, I think it's time that we stop hiding behind that excuse. It's like, oh, it's so hard. And just suck it up and get to work. Um, and so... Because the reality is we have, we have all experienced something far too great not to share. Because it's not just good news for some. This is good news for the world. For God so loved the world, right? And it's for that same experience, that very message, that we take communion. Um, and Jesus called his disciples towards the end and said, this is my body. He took the bread and he broke it. I don't know where to put my Bible. But he said, 
This is my body. Um, eat. This is my blood shed, uh, poured out for you. Um, take, eat, drink in remembrance of me. And so if you are in Christ, I want to invite you to the table, take communion, and just remember who Jesus is and what he's done. Um, and the way we do it here is we uh, come to the middle, depending on what um, side of the room you're on, and there's two, we'll form two lines. You'll come, uh, take communion, and then uh, there's no set time that we all do it together, so whenever you're ready. Um, but then you'll peel out to the outside of the rows and go back to your seats. So um, let me pray for us, um, and then whenever you're ready, I think the worship team is going to come up. Um, yeah, Lord, uh, thank you so much. Um, thank you for what you've done uh, for us. Lord, we pray that you would break our hearts for lost people and that you would give us the courage to do something about it. Lord, we love you. And Lord, um, we pray for the thousands and thousands of people in Amherst and um, in, in ha- uh, Hadley and Belchertown and Northampton and Frontier and South Hadley and um, Granby or in the surrounding towns. Um, we pray that this would be a different place in a few years. We pray that you would emerge out of this, um, out of this church of a faithful group of people who would go after it together. Um, we pray that you would raise up from UMass, from Amherst College, um, that you would continue to raise up um, faithful people, Lord, um, to come here um, to proclaim uh, the gospel. And we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.